Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Shh. Looks like when it gets hot, we weed out some of the riffraff. This is a good idea. The, the committed people show up knowing the room's going to be really hot still, and they still show up. So, well done you. Um, I'm going to do my best to try to talk over the air conditioning units. If you can't hear me, then you can come sit up in the front row, which again is what we understand. People who are self-confident sit in the front row, okay? So, this is the good spot, and I will do my best to speak loudly and clearly. What is the name of this group tonight? Oh, we got some people who are willing to go for it. Okay, okay, remember? Secret handshake and everything. We gotta, we gotta have it in there. It's like this, because you gotta you gotta get your, your romantic languages on, okay? This is affinitas, right? Oh, come on. This this half of the room isn't as good as this half of the room, okay? You guys are my favorites tonight. Affinitas. Relationship relationships. We are built for relationships, and so the evening tonight, we're going to, we've already talked about what kind of relationships. First week, we talked about 10 rules. Okay, the first and second week, we talked about 10 rules because I'm way behind. Kind of second, third week, what other relationship do we talk about? Families. What was that? Families, parenting. Yes, that's right. Um, last week, we talked about self. Tonight, we're talking about awe. Friendship. Friendship. I want you to understand, I want you to understand that there's actually a rhythm and rhyme to what we're doing and why and how. Typically there always is. Um, when a child is born, what is the very first relationship they have? Parents. It isn't with themselves, it isn't with God, okay? At least not on a knowledgeable level, okay? The very first most influential relationship is that child-parent relationship. That's why we got to talk about it. I think I just spit on you. I'm sorry. Okay? I didn't notice. Good. I'm going to do my best, guys. Um, second relationship you end up having in your life is what? Self. 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 And the third relationship you typically have is? Friends. Friends. See where this is going? It's kind of like a pattern. Um, so tonight we're going to be talking about friends. But before we do, can I do a little commercial real quick? This is my cookie. Can't have it. Perfect. How many of you, concepts, listening to me talk up here has been helpful, but would find it helpful to be able to actually sit in a group and do a workshop for about 12 weeks where you get to put your story into the room and have myself and other people speak into your life specifically, okay? I am going to be offering, for the first time, an Affinitas workshop. It's a 12-week group kind of um, setting. It's going to be at my office. Um, and if you want to find out more information, paulomore.com slash Affinitas, two Fs in Affinitas. There is lots of homework in that group. Oh, yeah, lots of homework. I'm only opening it up to 12. Okay? So if you want to find out more information about it, costs, Commitments, all of that stuff, you can scroll down. Um, there's an application process here. It's an online application, costs and uh, requirements and all that other stuff. So my hope is, is I want you guys to be able to not just have theory. I don't want you just to have more information. That would be a huge, giant disservice. I want you to be different. 
and sometimes it's helpful to have other people kind of kick you in the butt, prompt you, learn experientially with other people where, again, it's safe, it's comfortable. Okay, it's not comfortable. It's safe. Um, it's productive. And my hope is, is it would be a level of comfort that promotes you to, to growth and all those things. So if you find out that that would be helpful, then go and take a look at that and all of those requirements and stuff like that. There's a couple of other ways you can change, okay? If you recognize that this relationship stuff is causing um, some major issues in your world, I would strongly encourage you to seek out people who can help you, okay? Sometimes you have to sit with a professional. I mean, I'm a counselor, it's so what I do. There's lots and lots and lots of really good counselors out there, really good pastors who can, who can walk you through some of these pieces. Do not sit in it by yourself. You don't have to do that. You can actually um, have people know your specific story, your specific stuff, and just kind of change that and work through that, okay? So I'd encourage you to try that, ask questions. If, 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 if you don't know, if you've never done counseling before and you're going, it freaks me out, go to polymore.com and stick on start here. It'll walk you through how do you actually find a counselor, what to look for. Um, and again, that's not a commercial for me. I don't, you don't have to call me, call somebody, okay? But I want you to know what that counseling process looks like so that you can actually change and grow and become different, all right? Um, all right. Say what? I can have a bite of my cookie? Thank you. If you ever take a speech class, I said don't eat when you talk. Because now I'm really going to spit on you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Take a minute, please. Put your notebooks down. Put your coffees down. Put your juice down. Put your cookies down. And again, I want to just be intentional about becoming present and in the room. Close your eyes if you wouldn't mind, please. And again, I want you to imagine that when you walk in the door, all of the things, all of the weight of your day is going to be waiting for you outside that door. You can't fix it. You can't do anything about it right now. And so you have an hour and a half off. You are free. You are released. I want you to notice just the temperature on your body. Notice any places of tension any places of your body that is calling attention to itself, aches or pains. I'd like you to pay attention just to the proximity of the people around you. You're not in a room by yourself. I just want you to notice them. I want you to notice how close that they feel to you. That perception. And instead of having to run away from that, instead of having to distance yourself from that, let yourself actually be in the room with other people. This is a safe place. And then finally, take a deep breath. Take your hands, put them palm up on your knees. And I want you to be receptive if you can. I have no idea what your story is, and I don't know what 
the creator of this universe would like to say to you. But I'd like you to see if you can move into a place that you are receptive and open to receiving that, to hearing that, to receiving that. Each person is different. Each person is unique. And you are known intimately and personally. And then take a deep breath. Let your body stay in the relaxed state that it is. The only thing I want you to move is your eyeballs. Just go ahead and let your eyeballs open. Let your body stay relaxed. Take another deep breath. And then, if you're willing, if you're daring, simply turn your head and look at the person next to you and see if you can hold their eyes for just an extra minute. You can turn your heads, okay? You're, you can, you're allowed to turn your heads, not just your eyeballs. That's weird, okay? What am I doing? How do I do this without turning my head? <laughs> See how hard it is. Let yourself be seen. Very nice. All right. Stop talking. Stop being nice to each other. Stop connecting. Stop having relationship. We have to talk about relationships. Okay. Oh, my goodness, goodness, goodness. Um, I debated tonight. I really wrestled um, because there was so much I wanted, so much more that I wanted to elaborate on to communicate the importance and weight and power of last week's topic of how to have a good relationship with yourself. And I debated, do I want to just do a whole other week and spend some more time on that? Or do I want to move on and talk about friendships, kind of this, this level of relationship? And so I opted to move into friendships. Um, but I'm curious, we'll take five minutes. Anyone have any questions or clarification they needed on kind of how to have a better relationship with yourself from last week? Anything that you've been up at night, you know, losing sleep over that we could tag real quick? Wow. Excellent. All right. If you missed last week and you want to hear it, again, it's on um, the podcast, Paul Elmore, under iTunes. Do a search under Paul Elmore or the website again. It will, you can find that and listen to it. All righty. Um, good news, ladies and gentlemen. How many of you get to choose the family you were born into? You're stuck with what you got, right? In reality, you don't have a whole lot of options as an infant. The good news about friendships is, is you get a do-over. You do. You can actually say, I get to choose this time. What people do I want to have in my life to exert some sort of influence over me? So creating friendships, creating those relationships um, that you get to walk through life with, um, it's just like a kind of a, a do-over. And I want you to hear and understand that when choosing friends and having friendships, you don't have to stick with bad choices. Did you know that? You have all sorts of power and control. Even starting, you know, as young as, well, I have a nine-year-old at home. He gets, to, he gets to choose what friends do I want to hang out with and which ones do I not want to hang out with. Now, we could talk about, I got a piece of oatmeal cookie in my tooth. It's driving me crazy. Okay. Um, we could talk about, I can only do it 
by observation. Some of you could probably do it from experience. Um, talk to me about the dynamics of a 13-year-old girl and the friendships and the dynamics that go through all of that. How, how we'll use the word stable, are some of those friendships. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of, kind of ups and downs. And it takes one bad look, one bad word, one bad something, and... BFFs now become, you know, bitter enemies, and now there's all sorts of stuff being thrown around on Facebook and text messages and everything else, and so the whole friendship can just kind of crash out real fast, right? Friendships can get kind of crazy and messy and all of that. Guys, how about 13-year-old guys having friendships? What does that look like? Pretty laid back. Pretty laid back? How much, how much talking is actually happening between 13-year-old guys and their friendships? Yeah. How you doing? Fine. Cool. Okay. You want to play video games? Yeah. You get to choose your friendships, which is really, really nice. Um, why in the world do you think we've been created to have friendships? That's an open-ended question. Give me some ideas. Why do you think we have been created to be in packs, to have relationship with friends. Why don't we just be by ourselves? As image bearers of God, we are to be in community. As image bearers of God, we are to be in community. Okay, that's a good, good start. I heard support from somewhere back here. Well, basically, that God values God community. I mean, relationship, but I mean, you're supposed to love one another, too. Yep. Isn't that what families are for? Again, he puts you into relationship automatically. Isn't family enough? He put you as disciples. He said, a new commandment I give unto you. We love one another as I love you. That's who is disciples. That's who are family. Anyone want to argue with that? <laughs> Jesus said it. Okay, let's close in prayer. <laughs> Anyone else? Why do we have friendships? Huh? Insecurity, what do you mean by that? That's an interesting answer. Your friends help you find your own identity by yourself. Yeah. Some people are okay. You just said the magic word. I like that. Your friends help you find what? Yourself. Yeah, you used an I word. What was that word? Identity. identity. Friendships, one of the main components of friendships is help you find identity. Let's go back to that 13-year-old guy or gal. Um, how many identities do you think adolescents try on throughout their junior high, high school experience? How many of you try, well, don't raise your hands and, and try to fill your voice so no one says you're saying it, but what were some of the identities you tried on, you know, as an adolescent? Athlete. Athlete, thank you. Cool kid. Cool kid, yeah. Punk. Punk. I like that. Oh, sorry. Pause. <laughs> Musician. <laughs> Playing the guitar. Comic. Comic. I like that. Bully. Yeah. Nice. Nice. <laughs> One more time. Scholar. Scholar. Yep. Class clown. Class clown. Yep. Stoner. Stoner. Yeah. 
We get a lot of laughs on that one. <laughs> okay, moving on. Anyone else? Just all sorts of stuff. Those are laughs of identity. Laughs of identity, yeah, of understanding. Theoretical understanding, of course. That's all it is. We want to belong, just like you were saying. We want, we are built for this, um, we're built for relationship, and so we want to find a place to connect. We want to find a way that we can not have to be isolated and alone. My favorite group are the group of people who pretend they don't need people, and they all tend to migrate together. <laughs> goth kids, right now they're also called emo. Yeah, so it's like we don't need nobody, but we're all going to kind of just stand over here together because we actually need everybody. Yeah, gets confusing for these poor kids, doesn't it? Um, let's see if this works here. This is, this is, this is just good. Okay. Corporate America gets it right one time. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? That is elegant. When I saw that, it's like, oh my goodness, how smart are these people? Thank you very much. That, that is what friendship is supposed to be. That is a finitas. 
you see the two guys that was so fast? They were kind of right by the door, and a guy comes up, puts his hand around the other one, and they touched foreheads. Do you see that one? That one. That is intimacy. That is friendship, not on a romantic level. That's on a human level. Did you know that intimacy is measured by eyeball distance? So I can be right here, and I'm not in your bubble. You're not in my bubble. I can actually be here, and, you know, our legs are, you know, an inch apart. We're okay. But it's as soon as I start coming down here <laughs> that the whole room gets uncomfortable, right? It's like, holy cow. Eyeball distance is what measures intimacy. So if someone's in your space, measure, you know, how close are they to right here? That's why it becomes really pro problematic if someone's angry at you and they are right here in their face screaming at you. Because not only are they compromising kind of the safety of just the conflict itself, but they are distorting or changing or destroying intimacy. Does that make sense? Intimacy is supposed to be safe. And so when you're in someone else's space, you need to honor that. Remember that next time you're flying coach and you're sitting really close to someone, okay? Check your breath. And then be real careful because you're going to be probably forced to be more intimate than, than you really, you know, want to be. Eyeball distance. Um, Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. That's that giant Coke machine. We got to get a Coke, okay? We got to help each other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's a spiritual principle to be connected. And we ache for it. We are drawn to it. And friendships get so tainted so quickly. They get so... Um, do they feel fragile to anybody? Do some friendships just feel fragile? It's like, I, I'm not, I, I, I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to make it wrong. So I can't ask for anything. I can't be myself around this person because I want to still have just, I want to have a friend. I want to stay in this group that I didn't identify with. So I got to wear my hair in the right way. I got to wear the right clothes. I got to wear whatever that is. I got to say the right things, listen to the right things. And that is what is going to make me feel wanted. The idea of becoming something you are not to maintain something that you want. Isn't that tragic? That's just a distortion of what it's supposed to be because the gospel is as you are in the state that you are, I accept you already. Just be more of you and let me love on you. That's profound. Anyone understand, um, we hear the word synergy all the time. Who can give me a quick, brief description of what synergy actually means? Because we hear it all the time, but who knows what synergy actually is? All right, I get to teach you something. You want to go for it? An exponential amount of power. So it's not just one plus one equals, you know, twice the workload. One plus one actually equals more than two, right? The relationship itself is actually another component. So it actually kind of makes three. One plus one equals three. 
Isn't that amazing? It's like, cool math. How's that work out? Give that to your math teacher and see what he does with that, okay? One plus one equals three. The fact that the relationship itself is a, a, an element of this, we are stronger because of it. Because friendship is part of this. Me by myself, I'm powerful enough. You by yourself, you're powerful enough. But together, we can do more, more together. That is how we are built. That's a spiritual principle. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to get it distorted, okay? So then let's wrestle with the big question. What does healthy friendship actually look like? We're going to give you a whole list here, and we're going to try to take, tear it all down so you know what to look for. I think we can all describe what bad friendships look like. I think many of you have been in bad friendships. I think many of you might have actually adopted the concept of because friendships haven't worked in the past or because I got burned by one or two people, I'm actually going to do my best to live without those friends because you think somehow you are doing everyone around you a favor by not imposing yourself onto them. Does that sound familiar? You don't have to raise your hands. But we don't want to somehow inconvenience or impose on anybody, so we try to go it alone. We try to simply just maintain our world by ourselves. Here's the thing that might be kind of tricky in that. I think some people are actually pretty successful at it. I think they've gotten so good at being able to do that that that, that mentality works for them. And for that person, I actually think it's harder to work on the friendships because they have to give up something that's working for them. As opposed to someone who doesn't have friends and they're, and they're kind of in this open, hey, I can actually try to do this. I think that they can create friendships because they're open to it. But someone who says, I'm, I'm functioning just fine on my own and I don't want to give up something I know. I don't want to risk losing the known for something that is unknown. If that is you, and again, I don't, I don't have your story, but if that is you, if that's not you, don't listen for a minute, okay? But if that is you, I know how terrified you are. I know what it's going to cost you, and I know the promises you have made to yourself. I know how you view yourself. You actually literally view yourself as a thorn, as a wound that is just waiting to find someone to be imposed on. Please go back and listen to last week. That belief has to change. That understanding of who you are has to be challenged because, yes, you might bring some messiness to your story. You might bring messiness to a friendship. But there are good people who are messy as well who would like to get to know you. If you have a hard time learning how to do that, talk to Ben. He'll tell you what to do, okay? <laughs> I wish I could say, come talk to me, but my time is just running out, so maybe afterwards. Don't, don't. 
C.S. Lewis, we choose a known hell, known hell over an unknown heaven. Key word there is known and unknown. We'd rather hold on to the crap that we live in because we just know it and we're comfortable with it rather than let it go and risk something better. I worked with a woman up on a challenge course a while back and she stopped me at the end of this week-long or weekend-long retreat and she says, Paul, you scare the hell out of me. Okay, that's good to hear. That's exactly what a facilitator wants to hear. I scare the participants. She goes, no, 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 you don't understand. Um, I know how to relate to, to hurtful men. I've been around them all my life. Those are easy to relate to. But you, you're nice, you're kind, you're compassionate, and I have no idea what to do with you. Isn't that amazing? Something that she desires and wants here is out of reach because it's unknown. So find what is, find, a, find an environment where you can risk giving up that comfortableness and move into that potentially very new relational style. Okay. Sorry for the little sermon there. Um, friendships, what do healthy friendships look like? Um, number one, they have to be equitable. Equitable. Balanced, proportionable, proportionable. <laughs> I made up a word. Proportionable. That's next summer's series. Um, when a friendship is equitable, it means that both people are actually self-aware. They both understand that they carry the same level of responsibility towards each other. Um, they are both self-competent. Does that make sense? They are both self-competent. Here is... I need a volunteer for this. Who do I want to pick on? Mike. Would you help me out? Yeah. Come on up, buddy. Um, come stand here. And I think I'd like, let's make it two guys, because that'll make it funnier. Um, you want to help me out? OK. Fair enough. <laughs> you can't make you do anything. Your name again? Dan. Dan. Dan and Mike, everybody. Say, say thanks to Dan and Mike. Here we go. Okay. Mike, you've had a bad day. Okay. You're coming home and your world is just tired. You just, it's just not a bad day at work. Okay. Describe that for me. Think back to a day that you've had that's been not so good and put some words to that, please. And how are you feeling about yourself walking in the door after all those things happened? Like crap, I just can't do it. Like, I'm doing something wrong. Um, like, I just, I don't know, I can't even relate to the kids. Got it. Okay. So now that you're feeling that bad and that terrible, right? Dan here. Dan, you are uncomfortable with painful feelings, whether they're your own feelings or whether they're someone else's feelings, okay? So the fact that you don't, not, I don't care what your feelings are at the moment, okay, I don't care what your day's been like, his day's terrible, 
And because his day is terrible, your day is now terrible. Tell me what it's like for you. See, it was two women. This would be really easy. Two guys. <laughs> Makes it more interesting. Didn't know it was a pop quiz, did you? Brother, what's our Work with me here, okay? Again, your world's now upside down. Your work, yeah. Your world's upside down because his he's had a really bad day, okay? Tell me what that's like for you. <laughs> Remember that whole experiential thing last week? That's what we're doing. Yeah. Someone help him out. So it's your responsibility to make sure he's happy all the time, right? Can I sit down now? Yeah, no, 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 no. We could do this and I could have my eyeballs close to you. <laughs> he's never coming back, ever. At least the front row. That, that's right, that's right. So much for that confidence. Yeah, no kidding, it's gone. Your day is now shot because your day is shot. doesn't matter what day you had. You could have had a great day, okay? Everything worked, went great for you, but your day, because Mike's had a terrible day, you're now in a dither, okay? You are upset and worried and, and, and carrying the weight of all of that. Now, you've had a really, really bad day, right? You're feeling like crap, and your friend here now feels even worse because you had a bad day. What does that put on you? Making everyone. I can't make anybody. I can't do anything right. Right. Yeah. Anyone else help him out? How would he be feeling? Guilty. Guilty. There's a good word. Responsible. Some people feel satisfied. Satisfied? (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean by that? Like um, in this case right here, that he's getting attention and he's getting control in that situation. Fair enough. Okay, so that responsibility could be kind of skewed into a now I have power and control over him. Okay, that's fair enough. I'll give that. Sympathetic. Sympathetic. What do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to come back to that again, Mitch. So Mike's had a bad day. He's feeling terrible. He makes Dan feel terrible. And so now Mike has to take care of Dan? No, I'm saying he did. He's having a bad day with his friends, and he's talking about his bad day, and Dan's feeling sympathetic for him, so just to sit there and listen, you know, that, I feel as a friend, that's my job, is to listen and to, to have that sympathy for him. There you go. This is the problem. All right, gentlemen, can't sit down quite yet. I still need you as object lessons, Sounds okay? Sounds like Mitch should be up here, not me. There you go. <laughs> 
in a healthy relationship where it is equitable and both people are self-competent, you can have a bad day because we all have bad days. That's just the world we live in. And a good friend, a healthy, equitable, self-competent friend is able to say, man, that sucks for you. I feel really bad and I have empathy or sympathy. That's exactly what he should give. But when you, when your happiness, when your self-competency is low and your happiness is dependent upon his world, it actually puts much more responsibility on him. Because now you have a bad day for, for whatever reason and you feel bad appropriately because he's now having a bad day. Whoever takes care of this guy? Who's going to be the guy who says, man, I'm sorry you don't feel good. I'm sorry that you're, just, you're, you're there. Appropriate, healthy, non-codependent relationships are able to say, my feelings are my feelings. I had a good day. Sorry you were sucked. I have a good day. But he's not selfish or narcissistic or anything else like that. It isn't, man, you know, screw you. I'm doing fine. Hope that works out for you. It's like, man, I feel bad for you, but my world doesn't depend upon you. Does that make sense? Are you seeing the difference there? Okay, give these guys a hand because Dan needs to sit down. <laughs> this is probably one of the biggest themes I've seen in lots and lots and lots of relationships is one person tends to rely upon the other person in the relationship for their level of happiness. And that self-competency is very low. Sometimes it's between the two of them. So now you take the... Mike's had a bad day, that makes Dan have a bad day, so he's feeling bad. Well, that means Mike's feeling even worse, and now that Mike feels even worse, guess who feels worse now? Because I made him feel worse now, oh man, this is terrible. But then, oh, I feel even more responsible, and it just spirals down, 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 down. One person has to, has to be able to differentiate themselves from the relationship and say, your feelings are your feelings, your experience is your experience, but it isn't mine. And I'm not going to ignore you, but I'm also not going to take it on in that over-responsibility. This is codependency at its finest. It says, I can't have my own thoughts and feelings apart from you. Does that make sense? Self-competency is really, really, really important. Um, equitable, last thing about equitable relationships, it is what can we do for each other instead of what can you get out of this from me? If you're in a relationship, if you're in a friendship, and the other person tends to keep coming to you for similar themes, and they aren't taking their responsibility for their own change, again, back to that 10 rules of relationships, and you're actually working harder than they are, that would not be an equitable relationship. You have more power in it. You have more unhealthy power in that, and taking on more responsibility than you should be taking on within that relationship. Equitability, okay, balanced, fair approach, all of that. Does that make sense? Equitable. Everything we're talking about tonight, we could simply roll over into next week when we're going to talk about romantic relationships because my hope would be that your romantic partner would be your friend. Let's hope, okay? And if it's not, then we have other issues to talk about. But um, So this, within a marriage, within dating, within any kind of that romantic relationship arena, if one person's happiness typically is dependent upon the other person's behavior, then it's healthy, it's good to learn how to differentiate. Again, it's not 
creating selfishness is creating differentiation. I'm my own person, you're your own person, and that's an okay thing to be. Yep? Um, I'm just wondering, because what is effort? Because I think if I struggle with codependency or it's my fault that I'm putting more effort into it because my effort is aimed at protecting, changing, or comforting that other person, right? Let's challenge that thought. This, this gets really fun. Potentially confusing, but really, really fun. Well, can you repeat the question? No. So um, <laughs> what he says is, is if you are putting yourself in that position and putting too much effort into the relationship, that comes from your desire to take care of the other person? Right. Am I summing that up right? Um, no. That's absolutely not true. In codependency, that's not true. Here's why. For me to be happy, I need to make sure that you are okay. Whose interest am I looking out for? For me to be happy, I need to make sure you're okay. It is not selflessness. Isn't that amazing? It's actually manipulative. I need you to be in a good mood. Because if you're not in a good mood, I can't be in a good mood. So I need to change what you are so I feel better. It's purely, again, the unhealthy model. There's a healthy model, which is I understand my own feelings are my own feelings, and you're feeling bad. And if you don't change, I'm still going to be okay. I want you to do better, but my good or bad day isn't dependent upon your reaction. Does that make sense? It can get a little confusing. You had a question? Um, the question is, is it common for one self-competent person to date a unself-competent and then the roles to switch um, all the time until, guess what? The relationship doesn't work anymore because the roles are skewed and so they usually break up and they go find someone else so they can start repeating the pattern over and over and over again. It's elegant. It's just remarkable how creative and smart we are to keep, to keep repeating these really nasty patterns. We're smart. We're trying to get our needs met. Unfortunately, it just doesn't keep working. It doesn't work at all. So, yes, very, very common. Question? Yes. Yep. Yep. It's all about control. You're right. Yep. This could, this, we could break this down in about 14 different scenarios that it just gets really fun. Um, and a lot of you would go, okay, that number two, that's me. Number six, that's me. Um, it, it seems counterintuitive, but what I want you to hear very, very clearly is the more comfortable you are with yourself, the more that you value yourself, the greater the ability you have to unselfishly, to with the best of intentions, with the, with the focus genuinely on the other person, meet their need. Because your need is already fulfilled and met. You don't need anything from them. And you can selflessly 
minister to them, take care of them, meet their needs. It seems counterintuitive, okay? People think I just got to think terrible about myself and take care of everyone else. Doesn't work. Does not work. You'll end up manipulating everyone around you to get your needs met. Equitable. All right. Um, shared experiences, number two. There is something, um, this sounds pretty kind of commonsensical, but you have to have commonality with the person that you're friends with. There are many, many people that I will never, ever, ever be friends with just because I actually just don't care about what they care about and we have nothing in common. It just doesn't, it just will never work. Sorry, but it just, it won't. Let's, again, this is probably helpful to um, understand. For those who are unfamiliar with that, that's the Big Bang Theory. Brilliant writing. Really fun stuff. <sighs> I know I want the whole series to end, so I was going to write Chuck Lorre and tell him how he should end it, but we'll let that go. Um, so just, you got to have a shared interest. You got to find something that you guys sync up around. That is an essential ingredient and element because um, it just is. 
Um, number three, appropriate conflict. This one is giant and huge. You put two people in the room together long enough, I don't care what two people, you will eventually end up having conflict. You just, you can't avoid it. And so if you are in a relationship, if you're in a friendship, and your goal is to never be in conflict with them, then if you are conflict averse, you might actually find yourself hopping from friendship to friendship to friendship because if you end up having conflict, there's this little switch in your head that says, oh, I'm not doing it right. I screwed this one up. Let's start over from square one again and have to rebuild a new friendship. That gets incredibly expensive. That becomes very time consuming and you end up missing out on a lot of stuff. I want you to understand right now, the best friendships, the very best friendships have really good conflict in it. In fact, I would suggest that the higher the level of conflict, the higher the level of trust in the relationship. Because if I'm relating to someone and it's like, I'm going to be honest with you, you can be honest with me, and when we don't sync up, I have enough faith that we still value each other to deal with the issue and the relationship isn't, on, isn't up for negotiation. When that happens, you get all sorts of things done. That's where you actually start to grow and change. Because it's like, oh, well, you just had an idea and I didn't even consider that. I'm open to that now. And let's, you know, see how that changes me. But when you avoid that, you actually don't grow much at all. And you end up having relationships like, you know, 11-year-old girls and boys. Because it just it, one bad thing, it's over, it's done, you move on. You just you, you defriend everybody and you start over. Okay? We want to be able to move past that. Conflict is wonderful. Should, shouldn't we call it, like, resolved conflict or... Well, let's talk a little bit about that, okay? Because I want you to understand what conflict actually is. Um, I have a book in my office. It's actually Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It sits up on top of one of my shelves. People go, why in the world do you have Goldilocks book in your office? Um, because conflict is like porridge, okay? If it's too hot, nobody can stand in it. It's, it's, it's too hurtful and everyone's just bailing out as soon as they can. If it's too cold and nothing's, no one's saying nothing to nobody, nothing gets resolved, conflict has to be just right. It actually has to be hot enough where you actually deal with stuff. It, it can't be mild and, and passive and all that stuff. It has to be just the right temperature, and then stuff actually does get resolved. You have to move through it. Long-standing, unresolved conflict isn't conflict. It's what? It's resentment, it's bitterness, it's all sorts of other things, but it's not conflict anymore. Conflict is active. Conflict is a process. Um, the word aggression, I like this. Aggression is undisciplined assertiveness or conflict. Okay? If I'm aggressive, I'm undisciplined. You know, I, I got to power you, I got to come on, I, I got to just get, and it's not controlled, it's not disciplined. I can be in conflict with someone, and I can be very controlled, and I can be very respectful, but I can also be very, very strong, and I'm not going to get into your eyeball space here, and I'm not going to overpower you and ruin our intimacy, but I'm not aggressive in that fact. I am appropriate. So aggressiveness, if you have friendships that are aggressive in that way, um, you need to start evaluating them because the person that you're working with doesn't have a level of discipline that's necessary for he healthy friendships. Um, you can have overt aggressiveness, okay? Um, 
that's when someone is just mean. That is, um, <laughs> that's the Carrie Underwood song where, you know, slashing tires and carving initials in seats and, you know, the, how the song goes, maybe. I can't believe I just used Carrie Underwood. That's not even in my notes. Um, or you can have covert aggression, which is someone is out to win. Um, they want to, they take what they want. They want to dominate or control, but they are doing it in very subversive, passive aggressive, um, manipulative sorts of ways. It's still aggressive because it's not disciplined, um, but it's not overt. It's not in your face, explosive kind of stuff. Both are kind of nasty. Um, and then unhealthy conflict is when it moves from the topic, okay, I don't like your hair, to I don't like you as a person. You really chose that hairstyle? Really? Can you be that stupid? <laughs> right? That is a character attack. That's not no longer talking about the issue. When they move it into a character, personalized um, attack about your personhood or who you are, um, that's fighting dirty. That's not healthy conflict. If you realize that you might do some of that, you might need to figure out why. Why do you tend to move to the death blow two minutes into the conflict? How did you learn that strategy? That's a, yeah, that one's fighting a little unfair. Time-wise, how are we doing? 8.30, okay. We're actually doing okay. Um, next thing, good, healthy friendships are long-suffering. Back to the conflict piece. They understand that um, your value as a human being is going to supersede any poor choices you might have made. I call it the benefit of the doubt. It's like, you did something, and I don't like what you did, but instead of me jumping to an immediate conclusion about how bad you are or your motives or your intentions or anything else like that, I stop and I say, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to think the best that I can about you until I get more information. One of my favorite stories was um, the story of a man and his two children, probably about three and five. He was riding on the subway in New York. Um, and they were going through several stops, and he was just kind of zoned out, looking out the window, um, not paying attention to his kids, and his kids were being three- and five-year-olds. They were getting into people's stuff. They were knocking over newspapers. They were, you know, getting into people's briefcases, and they were just being loud and noisy, and, and everyone started to do that. You know, we're looking at each other. We don't have to say anything, but we're all thinking the same thing. Like, hey, dude, Get your kids under control. And everyone's kind of is aware of this nonverbal communication until finally one lady who's kind of sitting across from him, you know, kind of real, real directly and real gruffly says, hey, don't you understand that your kids are bothering other people? Why don't you wake up and pay attention and be a good father? It's like he kind of startles and goes, whoa, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't realize that they were, I was a little distracted and everything. We've just come from the hospital where their mother died. And we're, I'm just sorry, I'm not quite here. How does the rest of the train feel? (laughs) 
there's information that oftentimes changes perspective. And when you enter into a relationship or a friendship where you assume, oh, there might be a reason they did that, I just don't know what it is yet, then you tend not to respond poorly or put your foot in your mouth as much as you, know, you might have in the past. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. When that is part of a relationship, a friendship, that is a long-suffering friendship. That is very gracious and grace-filled. One more, one more thing. Um, two more things, actually. A good friendship will always, always, always encourage you to grow and change. It says, I don't need you to stay the same for my own benefits. Okay, that would be probably that unhealthy codependent thing, which is like, I need you to be the way you are so I can get my needs met. And if you change, then it's like, oh, man, you're not acting the same way anymore, and I just don't know what to do anymore with this, and i got to move on to the next friendship here. Good friendships say, I want you to get better as a human being, and I would like to do anything I can to help you get better. I'm not going to bail out of the conflict. I'm not going to avoid you. I'm going to point out things that you're doing that might be stupid. Kindly, patiently, gently, but I will still point out things that are holding you back because I want you to get better. I want you to grow. I want you to change. And they are wanting to change as well. Good friendships go, you are welcome to call out anything you see in my life. I would appreciate it if you would keep me from doing stupid things. So if you see something that I'm not doing right, you have permission to speak into my life. There are some friendships that you just know there are topics that are, that are not allowed. You are not allowed to go there. And if you do breach those subjects, it's like, oh my gosh, we are really at, on shaky ground here than a friendship. Those, those relationships can um, be fragile at, at the best. You know, right. Like what if what's bothering you and, and be very open about those things. But yes. Then, you know, if I bring something up, um, like she'll change for like a week, you know, and work on those things, and then she just goes right back. She's very unconscientious and yep. Um, inconsiderate and all so the, other things. Frustrating. So the friend who does welcome those things, she changes for a week and then goes right back to the other thing. You guys are a very smart group. Tell me what you would do with that. Think ten rules. What do you do with that? Very back. Trust their actions, not their words. Wonderful. See? 93% of all communication is nonverbal. You look at their actions, not their words. Consistency, growth. Again, their intention is there. That's, that's admirable. Their follow-through isn't, which tells you that either their belief system is a little askew, and they keep just can't get out of that belief system, back to last week and kind of how you view yourself, or... They understand that about themselves, and they just actually just don't want to change. They're comfortable with how their world works, and they don't have a reason to change. It gets kind of tough, huh? <sighs> Lastly, um, and it ties right in with what that is, shared values. Shared values are different than shared experiences, okay? Um, experiences tend to be behaviors. They tend to reflect the values. Um, 
what you think, what you believe, what is important to you, what you spend your thought and energy and time on, and why, why you do that, okay? So um, I can't think of any good examples, but values, okay? That's, that's what it's about. It's a, the things that motivate you, the things that you want, um, the why you do what you do, okay? Oh. Questions at all about those things? Those are the elements of healthy friendships. Yes? I just had a question about the response. Uh, your answer to her was, so how long do you judge their action versus their words? Immediately or period of weeks, two months? Wouldn't it be nice if there was just a prescribed time <laughs> that you can just start the stopwatch on and go, okay, clocks are running. Um, I can't answer that question because it is truly depends upon what the issue is, what the relationship is, all of those things. Um, I think that if you are self-aware, there comes that point where it's like, all right, they say they're going to do one thing, and as soon as you're in your head, you're going, yeah, right, I'll believe it when I see it. That's when you know you've kind of hit that, that line. It's when you're no longer gullible, shall we say. And for some people, that could be sooner, and for some people that could be later, depending upon your experience and stuff. So I don't have an answer for that. I wish I did. That would make it easier. Yep. For this relationship list, I kind of have friends that hit on one or two categories in each one of these. Yep. Um, to get like wholesome relationships and things like that seem to be a little bit more difficult at times. Yeah. Um, do you like see an importance or one that people kind of gravitate to on this? Say that again. Like an importance on this, or like ones that you see people gravitating to the most? Of the healthy relationship yeah. things and, and things that they miss? Yeah, well, because you've got like your sports friends, you've got like your accountability friends, right. you've got your Bible study friends. Right. And it's almost like some of those are more fragile in, in those other areas. It's like if, if they're strong in one area, sometimes they're weak in another area. This right. This might be my experience, but. Okay. Um, I don't have an answer for that. I don't know which one might be more prevalent or prominent than the other. Um, again, it depends upon the dynamics, the relationships you have, and all of that. Um, if I were to answer that in some way, I would say people, the healthiest people tend to have the healthiest relationships. So if someone is predominantly the, those things that were non-self-competency, that affects lots of these areas. A person who's not very self-competent doesn't co have good conflict. A person who's not very self-competent doesn't know how to empathize and listen well. A person who's not self-competent um, and doesn't know themselves, they don't actually want to grow much. So I would argue that that tends to be probably the most important thing. That's why, again, I debated, should we spend one more week on valuing yourself? Because that is so stinking important. So stinking important. So... All right. So different personality types who tend to be more controllers? Different personality types who tend to be more controllers? It's okay. Um, the answer, short answer is yes. Um, personality types always tend to gravitate towards one or the other. What those personality types are, we're not going to go through. So, but yeah, people tend to have their, their favorites. One more question, then we got to get to the next part. So, Paul, how would you handle a relationship where one of the 
Yep. But <laughs> they tend to do it in a destructive place. It tends to come out rather than destructive. Chris, I don't know how you do it. You have the most wonderful gift of providing perfect segues, okay? You're like the Segway guy, okay? Not the little scooters, but transitions, because I, on my notes there, I actually left it in the trunk of my car. I'm bummed. I should have you go out and grab it real quick. You want to go get that for me? It's in the trunk on the back right side. It's, uh, you'll, it, it doesn't match in the car. You'll know what it is. Um, I got nothing in my trunk, so there's only one thing in there, so it's easy to see. Um, run, quickly. <laughs> we had a neighbor um, some time back, um, yeah, several years back, that um, their names were Jim and Carol, elderly couple, very nice, very nice couple, enjoyed talking to them. But, you know, probably in their 70s. Um, one night, the ambulance came, took Jim away on a stretcher, and he never returned. He passed away about three days later. And it was sad and disappointing. We felt bad for Carol. Um, but his health had been failing, so it wasn't unexpected. But, you know, still sad to lose a neighbor, and, and she lost her husband of many, many years. And so we... Um, we a couple of weeks later, we got a um, package. Thank you. Um, Carol came and knocked on our door and had a grocery bags full of, full of um, stuff from her cupboards. And she said, this is all the food that Jim would eat and I will never eat. And so we know you got four kids. If you like, you know, I just want you to have some of this. Carol, thank you so much for thinking about us. This is awfully kind of you. We're sorry for your loss, all of that, you know. Had a nice little conversation at the door. We go into the kitchen. Carol goes home. And these couple bags of groceries, we start pulling groceries out. And, you know, canned corn and beans and, and stuff. But what we notice is as we get further down in the bag, the layer of dust on the food gets thicker and thicker and thicker until we come to this box of raisin and spice muffin mix. Now, if you were to look at the styling, the package styling on this, how old would you say that that is? 72. <laughs> we have an 82, we got some 70s, okay. Um, I think it's around 1986, okay. 1986. How many of you, if we have raisin and spice muffins next week on the table back there, <laughs> are going to be having some. Her intention was very kind. She had the best of motivation, but sometimes the nice things that people do to us can be detrimental, can be harmful. Would you agree? That's where we have to generously, graciously thank them for the intention and choose not to accept their help or their behavior. That's tricky. That's very, very tricky. But don't eat the raisin and spice muffin mix. It don't do new, it. Right on the <laughs> new, right there, yeah. Back when I was a lot younger than I am now. Raisin and spice muffin mix. Amazing. Um, oh, thanks, kiddo. Thanks for getting that. 
So that leads us into something like um, boundaries, okay? Boundaries are going to be very, very important. What are good, healthy boundaries? What are unhealthy boundaries? Two main prominent things when it comes to boundaries and friendships. And we're going to play a little game I made up, okay? First boundary is simply time, okay? I can't have a relationship with someone who's not actually um, where I am at, okay? So if someone's in this room yesterday and I'm in this room today, chances of me having a relationship with them are not so much. So time is a wonderful boundary and there's a, there's a phrase I want you to learn that has saved me and saved many people I know so much heartache when it comes to figuring out what to do in certain situations, okay? The phrase, let me think about it. So if someone asks you something and you don't know what to do, lots of us start just rambling. You start talking, you start trying to come up with excuses, you start trying to you know, talk your way out of it and you dig yourself into a hole deeper and deeper and deeper. An appropriate boundary to keep yourself safe is simply saying, it's a good request, it's a good thought, it's a good idea. Give me five minutes to think about it. And when you do that, you can separate yourself out of the emotional intensity of whatever they are asking and say, what do I actually want? What is it that I want? Not what do I need to do to make them feel good? Not what do I need to do to make myself feel safe here? What do I need to do to get what I need out? No, 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 no. It's all about, okay, what would be the healthy, appropriate, natural, kind, gracious response that I can give this person? And when you can give yourself that five-minute breather, you change your reaction so often. So, no matter... I, spouse, dating, uh, bank teller, I don't care who it is. They ask you a question and you don't know. Instead of saying, well, I don't know, I'm going to make up an excuse. Just say, that's a good question. Give me a minute. Give me another 30 seconds. <laughs> Think about it. It's okay to ask for time. Time is a wonderful boundary. If they will not give you time, if they are in your face, if they're saying, no, we got to get this fixed now, if you try to separate yourself out and have a physical boundary, that's the second kind of boundary thing here. Um, if you try to give yourself a little space and they won't let you have space, then you need to evaluate the quality of that relationship. Time and space is very, very important for a healthy friendship, okay? Physical, physical boundaries. Let's play a little game, all right? Um, here is... Here's how the game works. Wow, that's bright. We have seven circles here. And on the seven circles, I want you to imagine that the person, these are your relationships. So the person who knows you the best, the one you are most intimate with, the one that, um, the, you know, the person who, or the people who know you the best, they're here, okay? All the way out here, are perfect strangers who have zero relationship with you. Okay, and so this is kind of the intimacy level. Um, you get to decide where people are, okay? Does that make sense? Everyone tracking with me? Hopefully it's not that complex, but that's what it is. Okay, most intimate, least intimate is out here. I want you to simply, that's gonna bug me. Hold on a second, whoop, boink, okay. Um, I'm gonna read off some physical behaviors and I want you to decide what circle that behavior would, uh, would be appropriate to be in. Does that make sense? Or when you would start that behavior. 
this is circle number one, by the way. Two, three, four, five, six, there's seven circles. So pick a number, oh, seven, or you can go color too. That's actually probably pretty smart. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, Roy G. Biv, seventh grade science. Okay, so you ready for the game? Just in your head, I want you to pick the number. Don't say it out loud, right? Here we go. Having coffee with someone, what circle would you do that with? Having coffee with someone. Holding hands. Who would you hold hands with? What circle would they be in? Borrowing money. Would you let a perfect stranger borrow money or would it have to be all the way in circle number one to borrow money? Where's your, where's your circle? Just kind of figure out where that is. Hugging. Who would you give a hug to? What circle would they need to be in before you give them a hug? Um, watching your children. This person is going to watch my kids and I'm not going to be around. What person has to be in what circle if you're going to kiss them? Holding eye contact. Not just a quick glance, but a, I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and we are holding that gaze. What number would you do that with that? Two more. Who would you share your biggest struggle or embarrassment with? What circle would they have to be in for them to know your biggest struggle. And then finally, having sex. What circle would they have to be in before you are going to be physically sexual intercourse? Okay. Got your numbers? Here's what I'd like to do. Go back to having coffee. What was your number there? On three, I'd like you to, and don't chicken out, don't wait for everyone else to say their number, okay? Having coffee. What number, again, if this is seven here, six, five, four, three, two, one. What number would be having coffee? Ready? One, two, three. Seven. Ha! Okay. I heard five. Okay, so we kind of zoom in here a little bit. Seven, six, five. So if this is, and I'm going to change this real fast. Hold on a second so we can see it. Boink, there we go. Seven, six, five. So is this coffee? Yeah. Who was further out? So we got people further out. So you'd have coffee with um, a six, sixes? Yeah. Sevens? Yes. Perfect stranger? Yeah. <laughs> Someone who's actually not in the room, I'll have coffee with them. 
Fours? Fours, that that would be where you're at. And again, I'm not gonna, we're not going to put any judgment, but I want you to notice what your lines are. What level of intimacy do you have to be in before you actually spend time with someone? So kind of um, five, six, seven range. That's kind of what the coffee hit, right? What about holding hands? Okay, ready? One, two, three. Okay, so what, did, what was the number that you heard the most? Depends on where you're at. Defining the relationship. What is it? What kind of holding hands, right? All sorts of stuff. Oh, now you're qualifying it. One, two, three. Okay, so a three there. Four. We got some fours for holding hands here. Seven. We can hold hands with some sevens. Okay. <laughs> it's really good coffee. Really good coffee. <laughs> Borrowing money. One, two, three. Two. Oh, we are on the inner circle for dollar signs right down here. So the most intimate person is the person that you're going to give money to. Interesting. Depends on how much. Okay. Okay. So you're not going to borrow from anyone unless they're at a two. So you're not going to ask anybody who's not within that inner circle. But I'll lend money. But you give away money? Okay. Hugging. Ready? One, two, three. Hugging. Whoa. Okay. So. We're, we're in kind of this outer range here, right? That's why I'm ish. People might be closer in here, but we got, we got some here. We got a couple who are more in here. Um, ho, watching your children. One, two, three. What did you hear there? I'm not sure what I heard there. Are we down here? Kissing. Ready, set, go. <laughs> this isn't working out the way I imagined it to be. This is working out exactly like I imagined it to be. <clears throat> Isn't that amazing? It depends on what kind of kiss, huh? Friendship kiss. Are we friends yet? Can I give you a kiss? This guy's at a seven and a half right here. Not gonna, hey, friendship, I don't care what it is. <laughs> Not gonna happen, is it? Okay, so we got kissing. Uh, blowing a kiss, yeah, that's the safe kind. What other things that I have here? Hold on, a couple more. Um, eye contact, heavy eye contact. Ready, set, go. Three-ish, I hear threes around there. Sharing your biggest struggle. Ones and twos, maybe a three I heard in there. Here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to get from this exercise, if I can, please. And I'm going to very intentionally skip the last one. 
And here's why. Here's why. What I want you to understand is that physical contact, physical boundaries, communicate things. There are things that I want to communicate to certain people, and I need to be very intentional about those things. And some people don't get those experiences that other people do. I unashamedly will tell you that my daughter gets to have some of these experiences down in here, but my wife, she's pretty much the only one in that inner circle. She has more information about me, and she gets the experiences with me that nobody else gets. And that's a much, much smaller circle, much smaller, much smaller um, availability for that. But things like money. If I were to say, I want you to give your PIN number to your, to your checking account to someone out here, someone that you've just met or hardly know, would that be wise? And so when it comes to money, we completely understand that. that. That is foolish because there's a sense of safety, there's a sense of security, there's a sense of responsibility about that. But when it comes to physical kind of communication, hugs, kissing, we could put sex down here. There are people, their values might be all over the place because some people might hold the value that, you know, I can sleep with someone here because I got that right to do that. Okay, I'm not going to deny that. You got the right to do that. But it also communicates something about how you value yourself and how you value the other person. Those boundaries communicate stuff. And I want you to understand that those are related to how you view yourself. So I don't actually care what the number is on some of this because you're going to have to figure out what those numbers are for you. But I'm very intentional about who I hold hands with. And I hold hands with people other than my wife and other than my children. Okay? And I do that very intentionally with certain people because it communicates something. I admit as a counselor I hold the hands of my clients. And I do that unapologetically because some of my clients need to know how valuable and, tr and, and, and worthy they are beyond just the words I say to them. But I don't come in and hold all of your guys' hands because, you know, for some of you, we're relating out here. You don't know me at all. I don't know you. And it would be inappropriate. Boundaries, friendships, those kinds of things. This is where we could, if we wanted to have a very interesting conversation, you know, there's a common phrase, um, friends with benefits, okay? So, how does that play into all of this here, and what does that communicate? What does it communicate about yourself? What does that communicate about them? What I want you to hear is be unbelievably intentional. Intentional. Good. Googly moogly. Be very intentional about what you communicate and why. People who value themselves and see themselves as important and valuable and worthwhile tend to have a more conservative circle approach. And people who don't value themselves, people who don't value their money, give away their PIN number to lots and lots of people. Would you say that's right? Yeah, go ahead and have it. I trust you. We've known each other for three days. Awesome. I think you look trustworthy, but we don't know. 
real fast, Chris, and then let's go. Um, I'll get you, Jimmy. Sure. Absolutely. I agree. Yep. 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 What are we talking about tonight? What's the topic tonight? Friendship. So there's a context. You know, I would hold a stranger's hand, given the correct context. You know, handshakes, all those other things. There's a context for that, absolutely. But friendship, kind of holding hands, that means something different, right? So, yeah, I understand the context. Yep, Jimmy. I, I, I think I was going somewhere the same way, like hugging a total stranger in an AA meeting. Yep. I value myself, but I value hope that goes with that hug. Yep. And that, that's what I'm trying to display to that stranger. Absolutely, and that is the most appropriate way to do that. But that hug is very different than you would hug a long-lost friend at the airport when they've come back. Absolutely. So... Touch communicates. It has meaning. And so many people go, it doesn't matter. It's all the same. I can do whatever. And I'm going to go, no, it's not all the same. Be very intentional. Be very intentional. Someone who's intentional about how they communicate physically, non-verbally, um, is an incredibly safe person and tends to be a very good friend to a lot of people. Be very intentional. Ben. Can you unpack a little bit? Right. Um, but when you talk about valuing other people and it shows what you, how you feel about other people, yeah. can you unpack that a little bit as far as like maybe me hugging someone else, even though I feel safe, but it may not be an appropriate boundary if I can see them. Right. Um, <clears throat> it's on a different circle level. It's on a different circle level. Um, how can I unpack that real easily? You just talked about um, certain people who have, are closer in the, that are self-aware. Right. Correct. So what does the other people piece mean? I know what it means for me, <clears throat> my personal stuff, yeah. space, yeah. but understanding other people's personal space. Right. Um, this is going to be my, my lines here. You guys can decide what your lines are. Um, but whenever I move into a more intimate space, a hug, where's the eyeball distance? It is closer. I am actually walking into someone else's personal space. I don't ever walk into someone else's personal space uninvited. I will always ask. Okay? Um, if, if the level of relationship requires that. I don't have to ask my daughter to give her a hug. It's just an expected, we understand where those lines are, and that is a, that is a welcome invitation. With my clients, I never initiate a hug unless I ask. Okay? I don't just grab people. It is, may I give you a hug? And I do that with people in church and everything else like that. It looks like, I give, you know, it looks like you can use a hug. Would it be okay? I ask. I always ask if I'm going to go into, and that's not just physically as well, okay? Um, if I'm going to talk with someone about something personal, and it's just in a verbal exchange, I oftentimes, hey, can I ask you a question? I ask before I go there. Those kind of things. Why do I ask? Because their story, their, their vulnerability, their personhood is valuable. I, I want to treat them as valuable, and I don't ever want to intrude into a place that I'm not invited. This is why rape is such an atrocity, because it takes someone's physical vulnerability 
the most vulnerable they can be, and it is someone forcing or imposing their way into that place. And that's why it's so atrocious. I'll stop right there. We could talk a lot about this. You, you guys feel yourself kind of chewing at the moment? I can, I can, it's like, okay, well, what about, what about I, this, 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 okay? That's good. I want to leave you in that little dissonance right there because I want you to chew on this. I want you to wrestle with this. I want you to understand that with your friendships, all of this stuff matters. And the people who are focusing on it the most and are intentional about it tend to be the safest, you know, best friends, good people to have as friends, okay? Look for these people. Look for them. They're good people. All right. Where are we at time-wise? Let me turn this off here. Perfect. Um, next week, we are talking about romantic relationships. This should be fun. <clears throat> we'll see what happens, okay? Um, I'm going to dance really well next week just around some of these topics, okay? <clears throat> see what happens. How about I pray for us and we'll let you guys go, all right? Father in heaven, you are again a good God and it is an honor to serve you. Father, I ask that some of the stuff tonight kind of sunk in, made sense, that you will help each person here be able to evaluate not only the friendships that they are in, but the kind of friend that they are at, or the kind of friend that they are towards the people in their lives. <coughs> Soften each person's heart to be open to hearing areas that they can grow and change in, and let let their friends speak into their lives kindly and graciously and appropriately. We love you and we thank you. And in your name, amen. amen. Have a good evening, everybody. Thanks for coming. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.